Last week, we talked about hollow organizations. This week, we talk about how to ask for money. After over a decade of nonprofit leadership impacting thousands, we hit a wall. We started asking ourselves, how can we go beyond personal success and leave a legacy that lasts far beyond our lifetimes? A job change and a couple of pivots into for-profit leadership later? We're on the search to get that question answered. If you're a leader who cares deeply about supporting nonprofits from the inside or from the outside, this podcast is for you. We believe that the world needs what you are going to leave behind, and it's our passion to help you find that thing and build it. I'm Ted. And I'm Lisa. Welcome to the Legacy Builders Movement. Welcome back to the podcast. Today's topic is a very important one for nonprofits. We are talking about how to ask for money, and this is a big one. <laughs> this is a really, really big one. Uh, there are a lot of ins and outs with it, and I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation. So, Lisa, why don't you go ahead and get us started off? What are some of the things that a lot of nonprofits get wrong when they ask for money? Ooh, what do nonprofits get wrong? This is an interesting question. Um, just so you know, my background, I've had quite a bit of experience asking for money on behalf of nonprofits. <laughs> Not just um, asking for money in general. Please, <laughs> please help me. Um, no, on behalf of nonprofits, this can be, sometimes it's like a one-on-one conversation. Um, sometimes it's on a stage in front of hundreds of people um, or more. And having these conversations where you're willing to ask for money, it's so incredibly important. And I think sometimes nonprofits assume if I do everything else well, I shouldn't have to ask. Um, But asking is super, super, super important. And so I'd say one of the first things that nonprofits get wrong is simply not asking. Hmm. Um, One of the worst ways that nonprofits don't ask is by dropping hints and hoping people will figure it out. Oh, gosh, it's so awkward. It's so awkward. It's so uncomfortable. And it's one of those things that when you drop hints, um, you're assuming that people understand what you're trying to say. And it's not that they don't. Um, but there's something about the process of dropping hints like, well, you know, this thing broke at the at our office. And, you know, we really just can't move forward without it. And yeah, I wish someone would come through. Um, the, the process of dropping hints, it shows one that you're not really committed to the idea that this is actually beneficial for the cause. Hmm. So you're kind of bringing this up in a way that is not straightforward. And so the person listening to you is trying to decipher, is this a real issue? Is it a short term frustration? Does it actually make a difference? Are you just complaining? And if you're just complaining, are you just a complainer? And then that gets into the question of, do I really want to follow you? And that's a problem. Um, The second part of it is that when you aren't very clear about what you're asking, the only way that people give to you is if they feel guilt. Um, And getting someone to give to you from a place of guilt isn't healthy because people do not like to feel guilty. I mean, think about it. Listening, you don't like to feel guilty, right? Like, I don't think anyone is like, you know what, I'm just going to feel so guilty today. And I am (laughs) excited about it. I just cannot wait. Um, But once people realize this person is someone who makes me feel guilty, period, um, they will start to distance themselves from you, from your communication, um, eventually from your nonprofit, and they will begin to ghost you because no one likes being on the receiving end of a guilt trip. They just don't. Um, And so one of the biggest things I think happens as nonprofits, like one of the biggest problems with asking for money that nonprofits run into is they simply don't ask. 
And Mm -hmm. I think that is one of the biggest reasons why nonprofits don't have the funding that they need. That's really, really good. I think another thing that nonprofits run into is that they, uh, like you said about the guilt stuff, maybe they're asking, but they're still laying on the guilt Mm -hmm. really, really heavy. I think it's, uh, you know, maybe like say you're helping, you know, children in third world countries we've all seen advertisements or whatever that just make you feel bad. Like they Mm -hmm. make you feel bad if you don't give something and a guilt donation is always going to be smaller than an excitement, world changing donation. Mm -hmm. Um, The, 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 like the donation that's given out of guilt is enough to appease the guilt. It's enough to just make yourself not feel bad and so it's really, really important as a nonprofit to talk about what is this money going to actually accomplish? What are the good things that are come out of this? Like, how is this going to help? How is this going to change the world? And when you focus on that side rather than here's what happens if you don't give mm-hmm. a child starves, you know, like yeah. that may be true, <laughs> but it's really, really important to remember that if you lay on the guilt, it's not going to make people feel excited about giving so then they're going to give less Mm -hmm. and the other side of the guilt too isn't just guilt about what someone else might feel but sometimes um nonprofit leaders will approach it in a way of you should feel guilty for what you have Hmm. um not only should you feel guilty about what this person is going to go through if you don't give but you should also feel guilty for what you currently possess and because you feel guilty you should try and get rid of it um the problem is that if One, if they um, don't want to feel guilty because they don't feel bad about what they have, they're not going to be super inclined to give. But secondly, if they believe you and begin to feel guilty for what they have, they're going to start feeling guilty for all of the resources that they have, which can send people into a spiral of, well, maybe I shouldn't make this much money. Maybe I should take a lesser paying job. Maybe I should quit my job and spend more time volunteering. Now, hear me. I think it's great when people are like, I so believe in this cause, I'm willing to take a pay cut. Okay. But there is a difference between choosing to make an impact and choosing to move away from potential impact. Um, We've talked about it before with some leaders that we work with. And it's like, when you're trying to convince people your money isn't as important that we need your volunteer hours, um, what you're forgetting is that their money is part of your resource engine. Their money is part of what helps things go. And so you if you have someone who is just really good at making money in whatever capacity that may be, and they are in tune with your organization, you should be encouraging them to continue succeeding because the way that they can make an impact is through their financial donations. Mm-hmm. And that's a great thing. It's a skill that they have, just like somebody might have a really amazing skill that they can put into physically helping out with your organization or an event. Um this person's skill is that they go out into the business world and they harvest financial provision mm-hmm. and they bring it to your organization. That is a skill. Obviously, not everybody has that skill. Mm-hmm. And so really, when you encourage those people and say, yes, what you're doing is really, really important. You know, if I had a choice, if you had a choice between going out and making a thousand sales or spending the day volunteering with me, 
let's talk about what that actually which which one is better for the mm-hmm. organization and then make a logical decision mm-hmm. and sometimes we don't really think about it like that and so we try and just have the same message for every single person and there are times that when you are speaking to a crowd of people um, your messaging is going to be a little bit different but in those one-on-one conversations being willing to have a nuanced conversation and not assume that it's one size fits all because it's definitely not it's definitely not I was talking with um a new friend of mine this morning and it was funny because we were talking about co-ops we homeschool our kids this woman homeschools our kids and I just remember telling her one co-op that I looked at I knew wasn't a good fit because they wanted me to spend a specific number of hours volunteering and with our work schedule um, it didn't quite make sense and I actually asked one of the leaders I said um, since we'd have to pay to be a part of this co-op could we possibly just donate a bit extra versus having to go in for the volunteer hours. And the leader was so upset that I even asked. I was like, this is not a good fit for our family. Um, But it was interesting for me because I understand my volunteer hours and my capability and how well I do or do not handle other people's kids. (laughs) I was like, you don't understand. For your organization, me being able to provide more resources so that some of the moms who are incredibly gifted in that area have more at their disposal is actually going to be a net benefit for your organization. Mm -hmm. Um, But they had it so much in their mind that involvement looks like X, that they weren't able to take a step back and really ask questions and figure out what I was trying to say. Because I wasn't trying to say I don't value kids. I wasn't trying to say I didn't value where my kids would be going or what they would be doing. I was trying to approach it from an angle of, I understand my strengths, I understand other people's strengths, and I think this is a way that I can help us all win a little bit better. That conversation did not go well, and we did not join. (laughs) (laughs) Needless to say. Needless to say. I think another area that nonprofits really need to think about when they're asking for funding uh, from people is, are you presenting a case for why people should give their money? Uh, We talk about this with our legacy flywheel quite a bit. There's a whole section of the flywheel. It's called measurable impact. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, we've worked with organizations that tell great stories. They have a great, you know, uh, vision. They have really great people around them, and they're taking the right actions. But they haven't figured out how to measure the impact and put it on a chart, mm-hmm. <laughs> like make it very data centric. And uh, here's the thing: people who want to donate money and who are good at donating money and who are philanthropists at heart. They want to see trend lines and they want to know that, wow, if I give a dollar to this organization, it's worth the same as if I gave like five dollars to this other donation. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, this other organization. So it's really important to actually show those trend lines because they're doing math in their head. They're trying to figure out where is where am I going to get the best bang for my buck if I want to donate ten dollars to change the world? Where is it going to make the most impact? Mm hmm. And so figuring out how to measure and how to actually present that data is extremely important. I think that is missed a lot of times because many most visionaries and leaders are not necessarily the data analyst type. I would say a good you know chunk of them are, mm-hmm. but the leader, especially the person who's usually the face of the organization, the person who is doing a lot of the fundraising, 
you have to put yourself in the shoes of the people who look at the spreadsheets mm-hmm. and say, if I was in their situation, what would I need to see in order to actually be able to make an educated decision about where to donate my money? Mm-hmm. So Lisa, what would you say, being that you are a more data-centric person, like when yeah. you are approached by an organization, they say, hey, we'd like you to donate. What are the things that you're looking for that will uh, help you make a better decision? Um, right away, if I get approached by a new organization, I ask, so what are you currently working on? Like, very simple question. Um, doesn't sound like a lot. Uh, and then, so it's kind of, what are you currently working on? Where do you hope to be in the next few months? And part of that for me is that I want to know an organization that I am contributing to actually has a plan in place. Hmm. Like, they understand where they're going. They're not just kind of catching whatever wave may or may not work and just kind of throwing darts and hoping something lands. Now, I understand that seasons change and organizations need the ability to pivot, but I need to know that an organization is choosing to pivot in those seasons and doesn't have... Versus an organization that's like, they're they're perpetually pivoting because they have no idea where they're trying to go. Yeah, like a spray and pray apo- approach. Mm-hmm. Or just like, just shoot any which way and, and, and hope just, something, and just hopefully something hit lands, the target. Like, yeah, so there's that. And then um, after I get a feel for where they're going in the future, I'll ask, so, like, this is where you're trying to go. What did you do last year? Um, and then I'll ask little questions, but it's never a show me your numbers question. It's a, what did you do last year? How many contributors did you have? Um, what are your donations like? Oh, you had someone who gave you 25 bucks? Oh, that's great. What what did that help with? And it's super simple questions that don't seem very, very intimidating. Um, and so I'll ask these little questions that seem really, like they don't really matter and listen to the answers. And then someone will come back to me later and they say, okay, well, we'd still like to talk to you about donating. I look at them and say, I already got all the information I need. Like, I don't sit down and interview a nonprofit leader. I take small conversational moments because it's in the moment that your defenses are down and you're not thinking about it, (laughs) that you answer honestly. Um, And so usually by the time someone comes to me to go for the ask, I have already made up my mind. And at that point, if I wanted to contribute, I already would have. Right. Um, Yeah. So I think... So there's that. I do think that another big... Is there anything else that you wanted to well, say Well, I just about wanted that? to say knowing knowing the answers to those questions is a big part of it. Like, mm-hmm. if you're like, what did you do last year? And they're like, um, well... If it takes it, more than five seconds, you don't... Right, exactly. Like, you, you don't you don't know what you did last year. It means you weren't paying attention enough. You might have accomplished things in the last year, but you should always have those answers ready at your disposal. And an excited, like so pumped answer like oh i can't believe you know we got a 25 dollar donation last year that was amazing is a better answer than um uh man i think we did like i think we got like ten thousand. an answer with gratitude if you are ever talking to me and you downplay a 25 dollar donation because you hope i'm gonna donate a hundred dollars if you don't show gratitude for 25 you're not gonna show gratitude for anything i bring to the table right like I just, I'm like, no, if you don't understand the value of the pennies, I'm not willing to open my hand up with the dollars. Mm-hmm. It's, like, oh, it's almost like, you know, Shark Tank. They'll ask all these questions of these business owners and they will get into the details and the nitty gritty because they want to invest in a company that knows the details because a company that knows the details enough 
is paying enough attention to be able to make good decisions Mm -hmm. and is collecting enough data to be able to pivot if a pivot is required. Right. Because it's scary when you see an organization saying they're going to pivot and they don't know where they're pivoting from and they don't know where they're pivoting to. Like, that is scary because they don't know what has worked. They don't know what's broken. They don't know why a pivot's necessary. And you're like, you could break the only thing that was working and you would have no idea because you don't know why it worked. Right. Like, that is super scary to me when I see an organization <laughs> start, starting to change. I'm like, do you? Have you done the research? Do you really know what's going on? Have you asked the right people? Have you really figured this out? Because sometimes the small pivots that we think don't make a difference can have these crazy spirals of an impact mm-hmm. that just live on for months and seasons and years. And it just goes on and on. And that that's scary to me mm-hmm. because I want to be a part of an organization. I want to th- help organizations that know where they're going and that have some sort of plan for the future and can show that they know what they're doing. Um, and listen, I understand things change. I totally understand that things change. Um, but there needs to be that base level of trust first mm-hmm. so that when you tell me something has changed, I'm not frantic. I'm like, yep, that makes sense. I know you as a leader. I trust what you're doing. Um, can I move yep. on to the next one? Yeah, um, next thing that I see organizations doing wrong is they ask in the wrong order. Hmm. Um, A lot of organizational leaders, when they ask for money, um, start by asking for the money first. Um, They start with, hey, we really need your donation. And then they feel uncomfortable that they asked for the donation. So then they get on the defense and try and start building their case as to why they were justified in their asking. Um. And one, if you have to justify why you're asking, it makes me wonder if you believe that it's really worth it for the person you're asking. Hmm. Like if you were on the defense, that's not a good sign. Um, but then secondly, if they if someone asks and then they start trying to justify why the person would choose to give, um, it tells me a couple different things. One, they don't like they don't have the numbers, they don't have the wording, they don't have the stories that actually show the person that it's worth giving to. It's not factual. They're trying to build up a case really quickly, and that scares me. Um, but then secondly, they don't believe that the act of giving is reward enough in itself. Hmm. Like, yes, we want to explain to people why your organization is the right organization to give to. We want to tell the measurable impact. We want to tell the stories. We want to thoroughly explain the why. We want to move people along the journey and help them understand so that by the time we go for the ask with giving, they're already asking the question, okay, I get it. So, So just tell me how to give now. Like, I'm ready. Stop talking. Just have my money. That's what we want. At the same time, as a nonprofit leader, you need to understand that the act of generosity is a blessing in and of itself. And so if you are approaching someone saying, please give to me, I'm going to prove to you that it's worth it. Like the act of proving and saying, and because of this, you're going to feel joy, you're going to feel this thing, you're going to get this sort of feeling or you're going to like sleep better at night or whatever it is that you're trying to like (laughs) show them your guilt, you're going to alleviate your guilt, you're going to feel great. Um, When you're trying to show them like, good things. Maybe you're someone who's like, you know, when you give, like good things are going to come around and you're trying to like convince the person to give. Um, I don't think you understand that generosity in itself is the blessing. 
Mm-hmm. Having the open hand is the blessing. Having the open hand is the moment that the person who is wired in a way where they care about giving, um, that's the moment they are happy to give. Someone who is a philanthropist, someone who wants to make an impact in the world, they are not withholding finances because they don't want to give their money. They're withholding their finances because they have not found the organization that they believe is going to make the best and most impact. Hmm. And so when someone has the chance to give, when they see, man, your organization is the one that I care about. Yours is the one that I know is making an impact. Yours is the one that I feel like I can trust. At that moment, when they choose to give, it is such a good feeling to know that they have found somewhere for those resources to go. Because Mm -hmm. until they find that place, those resources exist in their hand. And they're like, I haven't found a home for this yet. It's not mine to hold on to. I know I want to give somewhere, but I don't have a place I can trust. And so being able to release those, they love it. Like someone who is truly like philanthropic, someone who wants to give and help your organization, there is joy found in, in the giving, not just after the giving, but in the process of the giving. And a lot of times, nonprofit leaders hurt the giving by trying to justify the other person's experience. Wow. I said a lot there, didn't I? Yeah, but that was really, really good. <laughs> well, I want to kind of turn turn the table a little bit because we spend a lot of time talking about what nonprofits do wrong. And of course, we sort of answer the question, this is how you should mm-hmm. in the process of that. But I want to talk about uh, for a little bit what nonprofit organizations can do when asking for money or how to ask for money well. And one of the things that comes to mind for me is be the nonprofit leader that people want to give toward. Mm -hmm. This means growing as a leader, like not just showing, you know, like looking like you're growing as a leader, but actually growing as a leader. People just feel it. They know they can tell that you've been learning, that you've been growing, that you've been improving your abilities as a leader when it comes to being uh, organized, when it comes to motivating people and encouraging people and getting people excited and actually making sure that the funds go to where they're supposed to go and all of that stuff it builds trust trust has been a big key word mm-hmm. in this discussion so far today but when you grow as a leader and you become the leader that people want to say hey i trust you with these finances do something good with them it's gonna be that much easier when you ask for the funds it's going to be like, oh, yeah, this is a no brainer. Like, you don't have to do all of this justifying as to why they want to give because they're like, no, uh, shut up and take my money. Like, that's mm-hmm. what <laughs> that's what the ultimately you really want to have happen as a nonprofit leader is be the leader that people want to donate. Make your organization the organization that people want, want to get to and get give to and get excited about giving to. Mm-hmm. So build the strength of your organization. Make sure that your staff, if you have staff, are just incredible. Have a really amazing onboarding process so you get the right people around you. Make sure that you have a good process for ejecting some people who are bringing the organization down because when someone is looking at an organization, they're going to judge not just the like what are the measurable data and the stories, but they're also going to look like they're going to look at, is this organization healthy? Mm-hmm. Which is a different question, right? They're going to look at, man, things just feel like they are vibing, like they are working, things are 
are, are working really, really well here. I can also see it show up in their numbers. I can see it showing up in, in the stories that they're telling and the things that are happening, but I see it on the faces of the leadership. I see it in the way that the people are who are volunteering and a part of this organization are just uh, giving their all to make it happen. When they see that, they're like, yes, I will put I will put money into this organization. So it's weird because in this case, you're not specifically asking for the money. But on the flip side, if you're asking, but your organization is in disarray and it's falling apart, now you're going to find yourself back in the situation where you're having to justify why they might want to give and, you know, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's so true because people are looking at you. People are watching you and people are watching your team. Um, one quote that always comes to mind that always comes to mind is from Remember the Titans. And there's a moment where there's the team captain, he's calling out one of the players on the team. And the one of the players just says, like, no, I'm not I'm not gonna kill myself for the team. Like I'm gonna go out there, I'm gonna get mine. And the team captain looks back at him and says, That's the worst attitude I've ever heard. And the player looks at him and says, Attitude reflects leadership, Captain. Ooh. And Burn. I <laughs> right. <laughs> and I think so often within the organization, we think that I need to personally grow. I need to personally develop, develop. And we do. We need personal development, personal growth and show people that we're trying to actively grow. Um, but there is something too, as a leader, that if you're looking to attract people who want to donate to your organization, you need to be in touch with the people on your team with your key leaders, not just in their own personal growth and development, but also in their attitude as they are leading within your organization. Because mm-hmm. as a leader, you can say, I'm going to grow in my ability to be positive, to cast a vision, to tell stories, all these things. But if you have a key leader underneath you, and there's someone who's like, yeah, I'm kind of thinking about donating, you know, whatever. And this person goes off on, well, yeah, we could really use the donation. This thing broke, and this thing broke, and mm-hmm. this thing isn't working, and this thing... It's going to be an immediate, like, oh, I thought that leader was great, but there's some ugly going on behind the scenes, and I don't know what it is, but it's not good. Right. Bad attitudes reflect leadership, and so people catch that, and they see that, and that's why you have to have a really good pulse on the health of your organization and figuring out what's going what's going on with the leaders and the staff that I have on my team that, uh, that this... Uh, attitude of excitement about what people could be a part of mm-hmm. is not translating because as a leader of an organization chances are you are very passionate and excited about it but can you transfer that down can you transfer that to the people around you maybe you're really great at transferring that excitement to uh, you know, lay people or, you know, people who are not really like involved in your organization, but the people who are closest to you are not catching that. That's something that you need to grow in as a leader to figure out how can I actually do a better job of of uh, building that level of leadership inside the organization, not just coming from me, not skipping a generation of the hierarchy, but actually flowing down through. Mm-hmm. So when people see that from the outside and they're like, not only, I was actually having this conversation today with somebody, they were talking about, they went and, and visited a church that that I know of, and I've had a chance to go out and check out their church and see, you know, some of the structures they have in place, and they were like, I was just so blown away by their, their volunteers, they had like this amazing attitude, and I felt so at home, they're a big church, but I felt like it was a small church, you know, and it was just really, really great, and I was like, you know what's really cool about that? 
I kind of know their secret weapon. There's this guy who's on staff there. And the next time you're back, you need to go and check him out and see if you can call him up and like take him out to lunch or something because he's like their secret sauce. And it's he's not the face of the organization, but there has been some kind of translation of the importance of volunteerism and how amazingly impacting it is for people's lives, not just that we are, that they're helping, but also the people who are in the organization that I was like, this translation of passion and leadership has clearly moved to the next tier Mm -hmm. of leadership in the organization. And because of that, like I'm sold, I'm not part of that organization. I live miles and miles and miles away. I just heard the name of the organization. I was like, this organization need to pay attention (laughs) to what's going on in the middle. I think given what you're saying, I know what you're talking about because we have had these conversations. Um, I'd say another big thing to keep in mind as you are, as you're figuring out how to ask for donations, um, always go in assuming that people want to give. And this isn't just like a sales tactic, like go in assuming people like to buy or like they don't, they don't. (laughs) Yeah. Like not that kind of assuming people want to give, but assuming the best about the nature of humans, which I know in this world can be really, really, really hard with all the stories that you hear and everything. So, and it can seem like everything's so negative, but when I would often ask for donations, my attitude was always a base belief that people desire to be generous. Mm-hmm. They want to be generous with their money. They want to be generous with their time. They want to be generous with their leadership. They want to be generous. And that was a core belief. And so when I would start to tell the measurable impact, when I'd start to tell the stories, and when I really would sit down and talk about the why, it wasn't a why from a place of, I have to argue you into going against your selfish nature. <laughs> I have to give you stories that show you that you should get over yourself, or I have to give you measurable impact that shows you that this is logical and if you don't do it you're dumb and i think sometimes people like they go into it with that they go into assuming people are stingy people are selfish people don't want to contribute but i honestly and firmly believe that there is something in each person there's something in each one of us including every person who's listening to this there's something in you that desires to be generous there's a reason that if you ask someone, what would you do if they win, if you won the lottery, they might list off a few things that they buy. But a lot of people are in that list are going to have, I'd buy my mom a house. I'd make sure to take care of this person. You know, my buddy, his car just broke down. I would totally just buy him a new car. Somewhere on the list, generosity happens. Somewhere in our hearts, generosity lives. And so mm-hmm. when we go in and assume that that is core to who people are, the way that we ask for money um, is something where we are facilitating something that people care about and giving them and giving them a true opportunity to be able to express something that is a deep desire that they hold very, very dear. However, if you go assuming that people are stingy and that they don't want to contribute, then the measurable impact and the stories and the why comes about, comes, um, it becomes focused on trying to beat the negative out of people. And that just is not as effective. You might get some money out of it. Maybe some people won't hear your negative spin on it and they'll be so moved that they'll give anyway. 
Um, but I can tell you from experience, assuming that people want to be generous and taking the time to tell them the stories, give them some measurable impact, really focusing hard on the why. If you have five minutes to talk, you spend four and a half minutes talking about the why and the last 30 seconds giving them the quick rundown of the how. Not even 30 seconds, 15 seconds on a how, 15 seconds on immense gratitude for Mm -hmm. any amount that they bring. And from the times that I used to do that on on a consistent basis, I remember... um, I did this for an organization every once in a while, and I remember there was a low weekend. This was at church, and I was told afterwards that was one of the highest amounts that they had given. It was a low-attended. It was a low-attended weekend. It was one of the highest amounts over many, many months. Um, I remember being able to look back and seeing amounts that have been given to that organization and other ones that I've helped with a little bit, and then being like, We've never had either like this much given or one of them. It was we've never had this many people give. It wasn't the largest amount, but it was the most, it was the largest number of people who individually chose to contribute something. And I'm not saying that to be like, man, I really got this figured out. But what I am saying is when you go in assuming that people have a desire in their heart to help the cause that you care about, it changes the way you talk to them. It changes the way that they hear you. That is fantastic stuff. Well, hey, listen, if you got something out of this and you have questions or you just want to tell us how smart we are. (laughs) 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 No, but really, we we do love to hear from you guys about whatever is going on in your organizations. You can always feel free to email email us at office at LegacyBuildersINTL.com. This has been a super great conversation. It has. Thanks for listening to the Legacy Builders Movement. If you appreciate this podcast and find that it's valuable, the best way that you could help us is to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. To learn more about Legacy Builders, go to LegacyBuildersInternational.com. That's LegacyBuildersINTL.com. 